Now, tonight we're going to talk about living God's Word. And that is where we transition into in Deuteronomy chapter 4. I'm going to read to you the first 14 verses. Stand with me for the reading of the Word. The Word of our Lord. Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I teach you to observe, that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord your God uh, of your fathers is giving you. You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did to Baal of Peor, for the Lord your God has destroyed from among you all the men who followed Baal of Peor. But you held fast to the Lord your God, are alive today, every one of you. Surely I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should act according to them in the land which you go to possess. Therefore be careful to observe them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the people who will hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has God so near to it, as the Lord your God is to us, for whatever reason we may call upon him? And what great nation is there that such statutes and righteous judgments as are in this law, which I set before you this day? Only take heed to yourself, and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life, and teach them to your children and your grandchildren, especially concerning the day you stood before the Lord your God in Horeb, when the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me, and I will let them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children." Then you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, and the mountain burned with fire to the midst of heaven, with darkness, cloud, and thick darkness. And the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of the words, but saw no form. You only heard a voice. So he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded to you to perform the Ten Commandments, and he wrote them on tablets of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and judgments that you might observe them in the land which you cross over to possess. Father, you tell us that the Old Testament, Lord God, was given to us as an example, and that, Lord God, we should take notice of it. We should apply it, Lord God. We should do the things, Lord God, for they are examples to us. And I pray, Lord God, that we would walk away with this great example given to us here in Deuteronomy chapter 4 of your word. And Father God, be glorified as we sit at your feet, Jesus, as we look into your face, as we hear your voice, and let us put into practice the things, Lord God, that you'll give us tonight. For in Jesus' name we pray this, amen. You have a number of things, a number of principles that are laid down here concerning the word of God. The first, I, I, I want you to notice, uh, the first key thing, don't add or subtract from it. Now, this is the first time this occurs in Scripture, it's repeated over and over again, but just again, you shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it, 
that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Now, again, repeated over and over again in Scripture. Let me give you a few examples. Deuteronomy 12.32. Whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. You shall not add to it or to it, take away from it. Proverbs 36. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you, and you be found a liar. Matthew 15.3. He answered and said to them, why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? This is again the Pharisees. They added on their own traditions and they basically combined them with the scriptures. And that was the major issue that Jesus had with them. They had, uh, they had basically created, it was about, it would, once it was written, it was an oral tradition in the time of Jesus, but once it was put in writing, it was 27 volumes that basically were explaining the 613 statutes of Moses. I mean, you're talking about volumes compared to, you know, that small section that we have in the scriptures. Matthew 59, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Now, essentially, subtracting an addition, what that involves is human beings trying to improve on what God said. That's essentially what you have there in tradition. When I got saved, I hadn't, I hadn't been in church in years with the exception of one Christmas Eve that Sue dragged me into a Catholic church and I got up and I walked out. Um, again, not caring about being obnoxious to the people who were there, just simply I did not believe anything that was being said. I did not believe in you know Jesus. I did not believe in God. So I just got up and I, I left. And um, and Sue followed. And uh, But when I became a Christian, again, I hadn't been in church in years. I was raised a Catholic and went through, you know, was baptized as an infant, um, you know, received communion and then uh, made confirmation. I stopped going to church. My parents were not going to church. And um, so when I gave my life to Jesus, I was 23 years old. And thank the Lord because for about four months, I didn't go to a church. All I did was study the Word of God. And I was studying the Word of God, I mean, studying the Word of God a lot on the weekends. I was in the Word of God sometimes 10 hours, you know, um, Saturday and Sunday. My wife thought I was crazy, you know, going from being an atheist to being a, you know, a believer. And um, I came to a point where I, I realized I had to go to church. I had to plug into a church, become a part of the church, serve in the church. And I had a, a friend in the, in the fitness center who was a deacon in the Roman Catholic Church, Deacon Jim. And Jim kept saying to me, you have to come back to the Catholic Church. And I said to him, I feel a calling to preach the word. You know who Deacon Jim is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a, a friend. He just, he, just, he just went home to be with the Lord. I believe he was a true Christian. But Jim, uh, Jim was saying, you've got to come back to the Catholic Church. That's where you need to be. And I said, I feel, I feel God calling me, though, to, to preach. I feel God calling me to, to pastor. And um, he, uh, he said, well, you can come to the Catholic Church and be a deacon. Because couldn't, I couldn't be a, a priest because uh, I, was, I was married. So um, as, I, as I began to, again, consider that, I began to see that there is a major conflict between Scripture and Roman Catholic, Roman Catholic theology. Let me just, I'm going, to, I'm going to read to you from the Roman Catholic Catechism here. And this, um, this is the, the Catholic, uh, 
Catechism, Roman Catholic Church, and um, the church does not derive her certainty about revealed truths from Scripture alone. Both Scripture and tradition must be accepted and honored with equal sentiments of devotion and reverence. So what you have with the Catholic Church, you have the Bible and tradition. Okay? I mean, just to, to, to understand that. And they recognize tradition on an equal par with the Bible. So what I began to see was there were things, and I, I, I grew up understanding some of this as a, you know, as a young you know, child, was that you know, the, the, the Catholic Church recognizes the, the, the papacy, the Pope. Well, you can't find that in Scripture. They try to say that Peter was the first Pope. Praying to saints, couldn't find it in Scripture. Dousing yourself with holy water, couldn't find it in Scripture. Purgatory, couldn't find it in Scripture. The adoration of Mary, couldn't find it in Scripture. The rosary, couldn't find it in Scripture. Repetitious prayers, couldn't find it in Scripture. Jesus actually denounced it. The canonization of saints, as I began to study the Scripture, I saw that all Christians, all true believers are saints, and it isn't something that is just simply for a, a select few. Infant baptism, couldn't find it in Scripture. So I'm just giving you a few here. I'm going to go, you know, could go on and on. I could, you know, we can talk about this for the next uh, for the next three hours. So just here I am. I had come to a place where I believed the Bible was the Word of God, and we call it sola scriptura, the Bible alone. So um, I, I did not believe that tradition should be it put on the same par as the Bible. So I could. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't go back to the Catholic Church. I couldn't be a Christian. So I found, I found a Bible-believing church. But that is, um, you know, that is just, to me, that is a form of adding, right, to the Scriptures. Revelation 22, 18, 19, very strong, strong rebuke that I believe in, you know, basically really encompasses all of Scripture for I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. Again, that, that's going back. That's just simply, again, reiterating and affirming what is said in Deuteronomy chapter 4 that we just read. So we, we essentially, we're not to add to it and we're not to subtract from it. So I'll give you a couple of, of you know, examples of this. If uh, Mormons, the Book of Mormon, is considered equal with Scripture. The, um, the book Science and Health by Mary Baker Eddy of Christian Science is considered a, you know, it's considered on par and equal with Scripture. Some people, and I've seen people in and out of this church through the years, the Gnostic Gospels, okay, and they will say that the Gnostic Gospels are on par with Scripture. So they'll quote from the Gnostic Gospel of Thomas and say, look, Thomas the Apostle wrote the Gnostic Gospel. It's very easy to see that, in a little bit of research, that that uh, Gospel wasn't written, that false Gospel wasn't written until about 300 A.D., but this is, again, these are all examples, okay, of adding to the Scriptures. Another example, and if you, um, you know, if you ever picked up a, a Catholic Bible or an Orthodox Bible, you will find certain books that are not in our Bible. 
So um, Roman uh, Catholicism, you see these books. And by the way, they, they are, they, I think they are valuable historical books. As I, when I talked about, right, we, we were talking about the Book of Enoch, but it's not, it's not a book that, you know, essentially is recognized in Scripture. And the Catholic, you know, Roman Catholic will argue with you, and by the way, this, um, the uh, Roman Catholic, the, we call them the apocryphal books, they were added on, okay, to the scriptures in, um, in the 1500s, about 1545, when they were added on. They weren't there, okay, for the first 1500 years of, of, of Christianity. And they will say, well, how, you know, how do you know that they shouldn't be in our Bible? And I'm just going to give you one example, and we can look at, at many examples. First of all, they are never quoted by Jesus and, and, you know, and the apostles, okay? But, but even strong argument, Luke chapter 24, 44 through 45, very important passage. At the time of Jesus' resurrection, okay, we didn't have a New Testament. None of the New Testament books were written. So what we had is Tanakh, okay? We had our Old Testament, and, and it's our Old Testament as it is, okay? Not in the same order of books, but then Jesus said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Those are the scriptures. Now, if you look at that, it, that, is, that is where we get Tanakh. Tanakh is an acronym. Torah, Nevim, Kedavim. And that is where if you're, talk, if you're talking to a Jew, don't call it the Old Testament because you're going to offend them. It is, it is the Tanakh. It is the revelation of God. And as you know, when I teach here, the Old Testament is on the same par as the New Testament. But notice here, it, again, if you look, you'll notice that, it, you know, when you're looking at the prophets, you might be looking and saying, well, geez, Joshua, right? We don't consider Joshua one of the prophets, right? We call the minor prophets, the major prophets, and um, judges we wouldn't consider the prophets. But this is, this is, again, the classification that was basically in the time of Jesus of the rabbis. And Jesus accepted that. And then the same thing goes with the Kedavim, you know, the writings. So it's interesting how, you know, Samuel, and by the way, we have First and Second Samuel, they just, in, in the Jewish Bible, it's just Samuel, right? There's just Samuel, there's just Kings, and there's just Chronicles. So um, that's important. But again, the, the addition of those books, those apocryphal books, I, it, you know, to me, why didn't Jesus recognize them if they should have been in the Tanakh? He doesn't. Neither does Paul. Neither do the apostles. So that is a, a strong that, that our Bible, our, at least our Tanakh, okay, our, our Old Testament, is as it was in the day of Jesus. Now, that's a picture, again, of addition. I'll give you an example of subtraction. Did you ever hear of the Jefferson Bible? Thomas Jefferson, who penned the Declaration of Independence, right, our second president. Thomas Jefferson, his Bible, he was a deist, and we don't really have too many deists around right now, and I'm sure there are some, because you can find, uh, right, you can find every kind of fruit, right, in, uh, in the people that, you know, live around us, but Deists do not believe in the supernatural. They did not believe that Jesus was God, though they did believe in a creator. 
They do not believe uh, in the Holy Spirit. Um, they do not believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. They do not believe in the virgin birth. Uh, they do not believe in miracles. Okay? And what Thomas Jefferson did was, and that, that is an actual, um, that is the, the true Jefferson Bible, he cut out all the miracles. He cut out when passages talked about Jesus being God. His thing was Jesus was just a man, and he and he 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 cut you know he cut them out, and that is a, a picture of you know again of subtraction. Now I'll just say that you may be sitting there and saying, "Wow, adding in subtraction." Let me tell you something. There are are Pentecostal churches, Charismatic churches, Evangelical churches, Fundamentalist churches that do this all the time. They just they, they, I'm telling you, it's it's all around us, where they they are literally. Um, either add or subtract from the Word of God. And I'll say this to you. I say, I, I say this when I teach here. I come here to interpret the Bible. Okay? I, I bring an interpretation. It is not infallible. Okay? And I think that you, you have to understand. That's why I, I say to you, you need to be searching the Scriptures. Be Bereans. You know, Acts chapter 17, 11. Search the scriptures and check what everybody is saying from this pulpit because we are not infallible. I, you know, look, I, I believe I, I do due diligence and spend a lot of time working on messages, days, weeks. You know, this is not, you know, I think they, today the average pastor puts his Sunday message together in about 45 minutes on Saturday night. Um, I already have my message done for next Wednesday, okay? It's, it's, it's basically it's complete. And I will just pray over it and sift through it and be very careful that when I present it, that I'm presenting the scriptures as, as truly as I can without error. But again, I'm not infallible. The word of God is infallible. So that's, I, I think that's key. But churches, you know, sometimes I believe deliberately, they will add and subtract from scripture to essentially manipulate people. And sometimes I think it's done in ignorance and not willful ignorance. So we are, we are told you shall not add to the word nor take away from it. Why? I, want to give you, I, want, I just want to give you a few, and you probably can come up with four more reasons that I'll give you right now. First, Scripture is God-writ. That's really what Scripture means. It's... it's sacred. It's the inspired word of God. The word here, God breathed. I want, you, I want you to do something. Put your hand up to your mouth, okay, and say, Jesus is Lord. Do you feel your breath on your hand? Do you, do you get the picture here? When God speaks his word, right, it's, it's his essence. When, when Jesus breathed into Adam, in Genesis chapter 2, it says, right, Adam then became a, a living being. Adam became a nephesh. He became a, a different than the animals. A living soul. He had sp spirit of God. Same thing when, when Jesus appeared to the apostles in John, right, and they're standing there. This is the day of the resurrection. And he said, he, he breathed on them. What did he say? And receive my, receive my spirit. The, the word of God is, is again, it's the very essence of, of God. Look, 2 Timothy, Timothy chapter 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God. 
and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped in every good work. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And they wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So that, 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 is, that is a key. That the word of God, right? That is, it it's, it's comes from the very heart of God. It is, again, it's the very essence of God. A second, right on, I'll read to you from John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word of God is an expression of Himself. It's an expression of His character. It's an expression of His nature. An expression of His attributes. An expression of His heart. And to, to subtract from the Word of God, or to add to it, is, is essentially to corrupt it, it, it is really, in a sense, it, it, you, you, we cannot corrupt God, but it, it is to corrupt the very revelation of God. That's why God, again, he gives such strong warning. Another, another key thing, the subtraction and the addition to Scripture. And you see, you, I mean, you can watch this, you can see this in a, a TV preacher. I mean, churches that have just totally become corrupt in the way that they present the Word of God. I mean, some, to the point, there are, there are churches right here in this town, they deny that the Bible is the Word of God. <laughs> they, they deny that Jesus was God. They deny that, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody can come to the Father except through Him. They'll deny the virgin birth. I mean, it's just that one denial after another, and that comes from the devil. The corruption of Scripture. Realize, the devil corrupts all that God has given us that's good. Now you see that, right? Look, he corrupts marriage. Marriage is to be between a man and woman. Right? You, today you have men marrying men, women marrying women. You have, you have, I mean, crazy, even crazier stuff, there's crazy stuff going on. He, corru he corrupts human sexuality. God created man, right, and, and woman. Now today, what do you have? 477 different genders? I mean, there's a new one. It's really cra it's crazy. That's, that's, again, the work of, of the devil. He corrupts the family. He corrupts the culture. So he, he, he seeks to corrupt the word of God. So uh, look at the, the, the temptation. By the way, this is Genesis 3. Genesis 3, verses 1 through 5. Now the serpent was more cunning than the beasts of the field which the Lord God had made, and he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? What's the problem with that? God didn't say, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. What did he say? Just, you shall not eat of the tree of life, right? And then go on. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it. What's wrong with what you just said? You, you shall not eat it. Right? It, it, I mean, she, it, she's right. You shall not eat it. But notice, nor shall you touch it. God never said that. He, she, he's just got her totally confused. And you see this now. This is what Satan does. Now we're, now we're, you know, we're adding, and this, this becomes like 
with the problem with the Pharisees. This becomes the problem with adding to the scriptures. And then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. What did God say would happen when you ate of it? You're going to die. Right? There, there it is. Just, just again, snatching, snatching the word. For God knows that in the day you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. God never said that. God never said you're going to be like God. You're going to be like me. But this is just, this is, this is addition and subtraction. So whenever you see, you know, whenever you see this happening, and you can see it again in a cult, you, you can see this in a, in a heretic preaching from the pulpit, you will understand where it's coming from. It's coming from the devil. And don't think that it can't happen in churches. It does. Second. Second point. Don't add, don't subtract, become it. I want you to notice, I'm going to bring you down to verse 6. Therefore, be careful to observe them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the people who will hear these statutes. I want you to look at the word observe. The word in Hebrew is asa. Carries with it a number of different meanings. One of the, the meanings is to become. So the, the word here, therefore be careful to become them. Become the word of God. May the word of God become a, a, a part of your mind, a part of your soul, a part of your heart. It becomes a, a, a very part of you. Now, how does you know how does that happen? I'm going to give you a, I'm going to give you a, a little a, a little lesson. Four levels, really. We call them, we'll call them four levels of growth and four levels of learning. Okay. Unconscious incompetence is when you essentially are incompetent of something, ignorant of something, and essentially you don't know it. The way to break out of unconscious incompetence is evaluation, is honesty, is humility. And really, it, it, repentance is, is essentially where a person will, will break out of unconscious. They're no longer in denial. They're not denying their, you know, their sinfulness. They're not denying their selfishness or their flesh. And just evaluation, honest evaluation, coming under the microscope of the Holy Spirit. I, w I recommend you do a little of that every day. Not all day, just a little of it all, you know, every day. A time of confession, a time of diagnosis, a time of examination. Instead of going on and denying you know, you're living, you're living the sin, you're living the lie, and you're denying it and denying it and denying it. That arrow there, again, this, this is humility. This is confession. This is examination. And then you come to conscious incompetence, and now you realize, right, you realize that you're incompetent. Now, you might be realizing you're incompetent at loving or forgiving, at, at praying, at worshiping, at giving, right? at showing compassion, showing kindness, right? You, you realize that, right, you're, you're in a place of conscious incompetence. That's good that you're now realizing it. Now, the bridge to conscious competence, conscious competence is where then you're doing something, but you have to think about it, right? It hasn't become habitual yet. It hasn't really become a part of you yet. It's not something that you're, you're, you're operating on a, we call it a subconscious level which is where you are 90% of the time every day. 
you realize 90% of the time you're just operating in habit. And that could be the way you eat, that could be the way you move, uh, that could be what you do in your leisure time, that could be what you're doing in your spiritual life. You're in habit. You're just, you're, that's why when you try to change, when you try to change your negative habit, it's hard because it's been forged. And that could be a sinful habit, that could just be a destructive habit. So the bridge between conscious competence and unconscious competence, what is it? It's practice. Practice. Right? How do you get to Carnegie Call? Practice. Look at what Jesus said. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. How do you move to a place, right, of where you're, you know, you're operating in unconscious competence by repeating? Want to become just a person who your, your prayer is like your breathing? Then you pray. You want to become a person who worships God and really behold, I'm talking about not just going through the motions of clapping your hands and standing and sitting where you really behold the Lord. Big difference. You come into this, this building, you can go through all the motions and not be worshiping God at all, but where you really are beholding the Lord, that's really what worship is. It's to behold, to fix your eyes on Jesus and worship Him. Uh, whatever flows from that, you're clapping, you're standing, you're sitting, you're kneeling, whatever. It's the beholding of the Lord. But if you want to be good at worship, you have to practice it. Want to be good at giving? Practice it. Want to be good at kindness? Practice it. Want to be good at forgiving? Begin to practice it. Want to be good at, at you know, again, meditating and studying the Word? You've got to practice it. And that's, that's how we essentially grow. So, I mean, that, you know, that is key. Look at number three. Keep it. In verse 9, only take heed to yourself, and it says, diligently keep yourself. Lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, unless they depart from your heart uh, all the days of your life. Concept here, you want to you keep the word. You, you don't want to lose the word. You, you want to keep it. You want to remember it. What did you have for dinner on Monday night? Can you even remember? Anybody? Can you remember what you had for dinner on Friday? Because you eat the same thing every night. That's why. <laughs> How about when you when, when you you know you're reading the word and right you just walk away and you forget it. James talks about like looking into the reflection seeing your face and walking away and forgetting what you look like. See, I, I want to say, I want to retain as much as I can within my, again, my psychological capacity. You know, mercy, is mercy here tonight? There was a Bible, they had a Bible quiz 
and uh, with the uh, women. And I did the Bible quiz with my daughter, and Mercy beat me. And she has an incredible ability to just notice details. We all have different, you know, different abilities. One of the one of the key things to be able to again keep it, write it down. They're not going to write down everything that's said here tonight. Or you're not going to write down everything that you're, you know, you're reading in the scripture. Listen, when you are listening to somebody speaking, you will remember about 8% of it. If you write it down, your comprehension goes to 64%. What is the difference if you do the math? From 8% to 64%, Lenny, the engineer, 60, right, it's 56%. You're, it, that, that is just by writing it down. You know, when, you, when you're writing it down, you're, again, you're thinking it, you're writing it, you're seeing it. And those are what we call those submodalities of, of learning. Have you noticed that the smartest kids in school always sat in the front rows and took notes? That's, you know, that is a key way to, you know, to retain something, is, is simply to write it down. Another key thing is memorize it. When God, when God gives to me a, a, a verse, and if you look at my journal, you will see I, I put the date, I put the day, I always, um, you know, always give the Lord thanks. It could be the Lord's day if it's Sunday, or it's simply today is a day of the Lord, or a day of Yeshua, or a day of Jesus. And then I'll, I'll go through a number of, of, of scripture passages that I write at the top, okay, and I write a little note on what God revealed to me in each one of those uh, key passages. Just take this morning, Psalm 45, the Psalm of the King, right? The, the, the writing of the pen of a ready writer, the scribe. And it's all, about, it's all about Jesus, Psalm 45. And then I read Zechariah 12. Want to see the revival of Israel in Zechariah 12, and they will look upon the one that they have pierced. And then I did Ecclesiastes chapter 6. It's okay to enjoy life. God says, enjoy your wife, enjoy your life, enjoy the food, enjoy the work of your hands. It's Psalm and in Ecclesiastes 6. And then I was in Mark chapter 16, right? The great resurrection chapter, and the, again, the Great Commission. And 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where the, the Lord is saying, right, it, it, it's not about Apollos, it's not about me, it's all about Jesus. And just, and I'm telling you, did I, did I write this down tonight here? This is what I do every day to retain it. And then there were a bunch of verses that I have committed to memory as I, as I go through. I'm not talking about, like today, a bunch of verses I committed to memory, but there are verses that stand out that God has spoken to my heart that I commit to memory. And I memorize them. I want them to be in the computer. Another, another thing, meditating on God's Word. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And he meditates day and night. Watch, look at the blessing. He shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in season, whose leaf does, uh, shall not wither, and whatever he does prospers. I claim that verse. I claim that verse in the name of Jesus for my life. That is, a, that is a, a claim signature verse for my life. But by meditating on thinking on the Word, reflecting on the Word. You know something, I, I say this to you. 
some of you are listening to so many different preachers. You know what? You've got so much coming. You don't remember anything. You don't. And if, if this is the church you're plugging into, and I'm not saying you can't listen to other preachers. I do. And I read. I tend to read their sermons more than I do listen to them. But if this is your church, you're getting a word tonight. Take it with you and meditate on it. You get a word on Sunday. Take it and meditate on it. Let it, let it sink in. But you're, just, you're, you're listening to nine different preachers every day. Let me tell you something. You can't take that in. But the beauty of, of, of taking you know, the word and really like just chewing on it, swallowing it, assimilating it, digesting it, letting it become a part of your, you know, of your, of your very soul, of your very spirit. I'll give you one other thing here in retaining the word. Pray the word. Pray it. Pray the word. You ever pray Psalm 23? The Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. And I don't lack anything. That's, that's, a, that's a morning verse every day. The Lord, the Lord is my. He's my shepherd. That's my Jesus. And I don't lack anything. He's meeting all my needs. And just, you know, you go through the psalm and you, you, you know, you pray it. That's how, that's, how we, that's how we keep it. That's how we keep the word. All right, next. Teach it. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9 through 10. And teach them to your children and your grandchildren. One of the, one of the greatest ways to keep them, this, and th this, is, this is easy here. I study the word. And I'll tell you, I, I love studying the Word as much as I, I, I love teaching the Word. I, I just, I, I love studying, I, I think sometimes I may even love studying it more than actually teaching it. But I, I just, I, I love studying the Word of God. But teach it. Are you a teacher here in the church? You know, you don't need to be called to be uh, an, an anointed apostolic, uh, you know, spirit-filled teacher to be able to come and teach our children here at the church. But you, you teach the Word. Are you teaching it to your children? Are you teaching it to your, to your grandchildren? Right? I don't know if you've ever, if we can just get the sound on here. I hope it's on. Must have a code that you can live by, and so become yourself. Because the past is just a goodbye. Teach your children well. Let me just give you something. Teaching, teaching people. You got to teach in word and deed. You teach children. I just want to say this to you. You got to model it in front of your children. You want your children to learn how to pray. You need to pray. You want your your children to forgive. You got to forgive. 
You want your children to, to be worshiping the Lord? You've got to be here worshiping the Lord. I'm amazed at, at families. They, they want these things from their children, but they don't model them for their children. You know, children are sponges. The sins of the fathers are visited upon the children until the third and fourth generation. You know what I believe? That if you go to Ezekiel, I think it's 18 and 34, God says, no, I'm not punishing the children for their father's sins. And I'm not punishing the fathers for their children's sins. So what did he mean in, in you know, the commandment, right, in, in Exodus chapter 20, the sins of the fathers are visited, are visited upon the children. That children are sponges and they learn from their fathers. We know this like in the, on a really negative sense. It's like 70% of alcoholics, they, they will have children who are alcoholics. 70% of drug addicts have children who are drug addicts. They've learned the behavior. They've learned the behavior, whether they're seeing the, the father stick the needle in his arm, but it's just the behavior of that, of that addiction. And the same thing goes for good habits. If you, want, if you want your children, right, to be honest, you have to be honest. If you want your children to have integrity, you have to be a person of integrity. If you want your children to be people who speak living words into people instead of words in death, you've got to speak those living words in front of them. But that you, you, you have, it has to be in word and it has to be in deed. That is, that is the way, you know, we teach. And none of us, none of us, as good as we are, right, the deed will never match up completely with the word. And that's what we have to teach in word. That's what people say. Well, I witness with my, I witness to everybody with my life. Well, well who's, who's getting saved in your life? Nobody. Because you have to share the word of God too. Because we're all sinners. So that, that is key, word and deed. All right, let me give you a, one more. Hear it. So in, in verse 12, and the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of the words, but saw no form. You only heard a voice. We can hear God's still small voice in our lives. And you could hear me all night long and not hear God. But I hope you're coming to this place and you're hearing from God. How do you do that? Let me give you, I'll give you this and then I'm going to wrap up. I want you to, to notice this, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 7 through 10. Watch this. The, 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 how we interpret God's word and are able to hear it. Look at what the Holy Spirit gives us here. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of the age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Your love for Jesus is the great interpreter. You see people, they, 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 they don't love, I mean, they don't love Jesus. They don't, they, they don't get it, right? They don't get it. When you, when you love Jesus, I'll tell you, you're going to begin to hear his still, small voice. You're going to begin to experience him. To be able to you know, really connect with him. Love, love is the great interpreter. And you know what? This is true of everything in life. Whatever you love, you're absorbed in. Whatever it is. And it may be good and it may be ugly and sinful. But whatever you love, right? 
That's what you are absorbed in. And when you love Jesus, you will become absorbed in Jesus. Verse 10, but God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of man except the spirit of man that is within him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. Who is our teacher? Again, you, you, you could be sitting here listening to me, or are you really coming in connection with the Word of God through the Spirit of God, and you're hearing from God? The Spirit is our teacher. The church is our classroom. And the Bible is our textbook. But to be spirit, you know, I tell people this, I, I got called, I got called to be a pastor and I guess threw myself into the study of the Word of God. And then I, I realized I needed, I needed to get formal training. And, you know, I went, I went through Bible college and earned a bachelor's degree. And then I went to seminary, Trinity Seminary, and I earned my master's degree. And uh, I just, when, when a man of God is called, he's going, like, just like Chris Figueroa is a great example of somebody who has been, you know, truly called by God. Chris now is working on his PhD. It's only been a few years. Chris now a scholar, and um, you got to talk to him. I mean, he's like he's scholarship. He's he's, he's brilliant, and um, but that's when when a, when a person is truly called, that's they're going to have this passion for the word, but they're going to have a passion right to get educated. My my formal education, I'll tell you at this point, after about forty two years, makes up I think about eight percent of my learning. The other 92% has been what I have been doing continuously for the, you know, the past years. And that is, again, being spirit-taught. And uh, that's, you know, that's key. Then, then, one other passage here, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. How do we interpret the Bible? By the Bible. You, you, you interpret the Bible by the Bible. That's, it's a, that's, that is the way Jesus and the apostles basically interpreted Scripture. All you have to do is go through the book of Acts. And, you know, you see the teachings of Peter. You see the teachings of Paul. The teachings of Stephen. What did they use? They used the Old Testament, okay, to teach that Jesus was God, that he was raised from the dead, that he ascended into heaven, and he sits at the right hand of the Father. That he died on the cross for our sins. They used Scripture to interpret Scripture. So I say, why, why do I teach? Jesus, Pastor, you use a lot of Scripture here. You go to a church, they put up, they, they give like one little verse, and then the pastor stands there and he just rants and raves for the next, you know, 45 minutes. Teach me the Word, man. Teach me the Word. So we, interpreting. So wrap up keynotes here. The key thing the key thing, I'd say, if there's something, one takeaway to leave with tonight. We know him through scripture. We experience him.
through Scripture. We experience His love through Scripture, His grace, His mercy, His forgiveness through Scripture. And we come to love Him through Scripture. Our faith grows and is enlarged through Scripture. But, you know, you, you, can, you can have this in your head and not have that. And that, that is what it's all about. Getting with Him and meeting with Him and experiencing Him. And that's just the wonder to me of the Christian life. that You can have that every day. Amen? Worship team, come up. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you, Lord God. I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, Lord God, for the things that, Lord God, we have just received tonight from the book of Deuteronomy chapter 4. And I thank you, Lord God, for this precious gift, the word of God. What we hold in our hands, that is written, but the living word of God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.